0: Thanks for the worship. Um, yeah, isn't the beauty just the last song? the The beauty of God is in His story and of Christ living and dying for us. Um, still captures my heart. His story is the greatest story, and so we'll talk about beauty today. Some could we pray first? Um, and I. I just would like us to take a minute to just open our, just our hearts to, um, to whatever God has for us today, whatever way he wants to speak to us. Um, my good friend Gene is always challenging me to use big words in my sermons, so we should pray for hearts that are not recalcitrant, Gene, how is that, Gene, Gene Barrett loves that word. Just hearts that are not stubborn, hearts that are open, so can we just take a minute to to do to to do that, to allow God to speak into our lives today. we do your spirit is always present we open ourselves up to your presence in our lives Um, and I just open myself to you I am here I am available you're the one who's able so would you please do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine um, through through your word this morning and what we'll talk about and I pray in Christ's name amen Um, Yeah, you know, we all know, I think most of us, the Great Commission, right, Matthew 18 to 20, the command to make disciples, to make Jesus followers of all nations. My guess is, is most of us here have a sense that we ought to personally be engaged in that. Am I right, that we we have some lingering sense we ought to be spreading the good news? Um, I am curious, how many of you feel a little timid about that? A little fearful, I've got one. Okay, everybody else can go home. (laughs) Bill, you and I can sit and, uh, because you're not the only one, I mean, I'm there. You know, not sure how to really best win friends and family, coworkers, colleagues. Um, How many of you in some form, you feel just ill-equipped in the area? Just, you know, how to, what to say or whatever. Um, Even all the years I've done it, I still at times feel that way. So we're beginning a series, I think, for that reason, on evangelism. Um, Al's asked me to be the leadoff hitter. Uh, He's—I think you're batting second, third, cleanup. Is that right? Yeah. He's—he's uh, he's hoping I don't strike out this morning or ground out. Uh, he wants, hoping I'm get on base so he can advance me to home by the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you the model that. Um, that I personally use in my own evangelism, and it's what we encourage in our mi- ministry. I don't remember where I got it, because I did not create this. Um, I didn't invent it. I've adapted it and changed a few things, but some other guy should get credit for this. But it's built, on, it's built off the acronym bridge, and it's built around 1 um, Peter 3.15, which I will explain a little more detail later. There is a bulletin insert, for those of you who are like note-taking kind of people, and there's reading material on the back for those of you who get bored with uh, my sermons. Um, but I don't know, you might find that convicting, so you may wanna just t- to hang on the front page, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. And I will say one thing. I am I'm going to refer to people who are not in relationship with God as lost today, taking my cues from Jesus. Uh, I was going to call them pagans because I was one at one time, and I very well remember that so that's said in love but i'm I'm not going to do pagan i 'm going to stick with lost people so let's let's just jump in so the b is to be aware of the person that 's the first thing is you've got to be aware of the person, and this really assumes that you are having relationships with people, not just that you 've got a coworker across the hall or you, you say hi to your neighbor and ask how things are or whatever, but that you actually, there are lost people in your life that you spend time with, okay? So that, that's kind of a given. You, you've got to spend time with people. Um, and so the first thing is just being aware. Um, you know, the Bible uses farming a lot as a metaphor for evangelism. When a settler would come into a frontier area to, to farm a land, he'd, he'd buy the track or he'd just sit on it, squat on it. You know, the first thing he'd do is he'd learn the landscape, right? The lay of the land, where the stones, the obstacles were, where's the creek, where are the big trees I need to cut down? Um, and you, you get the lay of the land before you ever plow or plant, and that's really what this is. It's just uh, getting to know them. And the thing I would really emphasize, I think it means getting them to know well enough that you know their story. A lot of emphasis on story these days, I think, is healthy. You, you really need to get to know a person's story, their hopes their fears, their background, their family experiences, their life experiences, you have to know their pain. In learning their story, you'll learn their worldview, how they think and what they value. Um, And like I said, to be honest, it just takes takes time. It takes time with a person to do that. But if you'll do this, I wanna, I think this is important. If you do this, if you will befriend one person and get to know somebody who's lost, um, there's, a, there's a benefit that we need today really badly. The, you'll learn that people are not caricatures, that people don't fit in large categories, a box you can put them into, like a liberal or conservative or progressive or this, whatever, that, that, that they're this, which we so, it's human nature to do that. When you start learning people and stories, you realize that there are reasons people think what they do and they believe what they do. There's maybe a pain in their life, an experience, and you begin to see people as complex and you really let go of simplified categories. Um, and not only that, it starts making you let go of those categories for other people that you don't know. I have just found that to be a huge benefit in my life. And you will begin to grow in love and compassion, not just for that person, but for, for a lot of people that you don't meet. Um, because you begin to see people as unique individuals, with unique stories, and that they got to where they are. There was, there's some reason behind it. And you just get a lot more patient with people and you quit putting people in boxes. How many of you like to be put in a box? You know, you just have one belief about something and people automatically say, oh, well, you're a blank and they put a hundred things under you that you must believe or do and that isn't you at all, isn't, I mean, do you not like, do you not dislike that? That's why I stay away from a lot of things that that I publicly will throw out because I don't want to be labeled by something I say to be put into a box. Um... And here's what you'll find, if you will, if you will befriend somebody, and if you'll spend time, and if you'll sit and take the time to get to know their story over coffee, they'll want to know your story. This just happened to me the other, a little over a week ago. I was sitting with a fellow, and he was just, just, I'm, just so, I'm just curious, it's really helpful to be curious about people, and I was just asking him questions about his life, and he just said something about, briefly about where he was with religion and stuff, and I said, and, kind of, and I just said, you know, I was exactly there at one point in my life. I know exactly how you feel. I know how you think. Well, he finished his story, and then when he was done, he said, you know, the thing you said, he said, can we, ha- can we get together again? Because I want to hear your story. Can I hear what you, you know, you said you understood. I want to I hear your story, and kind of where did you end up? And it was just my interest in his story that opened the door for me to tell my story. Um, pretty simple. So we've got to, you've got to be aware of people and um, and respect them. Uh, boy, this means not being judgmental of the people, their behavior, their beliefs. Again, don't we live in a time the intellectual divide is greater than ever before? Don't you know it? Judgmentalism is rampant. It's at an all-time high, and wouldn't you agree? It's on both sides of every issue. Wouldn't you agree? None of us are exempt. None of us. And um, you know, I hear people. I, you know, I mean, I even myself. But I hear people. And by the way, I, I moved. I moved on to the second one. <laughs> respect. You now have to be aware of the person. You have to respect people. Okay. You have to respect people. Um, you have to. Yeah, to respect people. Um, how did I make that jump? That is so funny. Um, uh okay I, I missed a page is what I did first Peter three fifteen, which the passage I'm using says that I should be prepared to give an answer to everyone and I am to do it with what what's the last word of the verse do it with respect it is a command that I treat people with respect shouldn't we of all people be the most respectful of every human being that's alive on planet earth because they're created in the image of God everybody is unabashedly loved by God. Every human is a person God gave his everything for, right? So shouldn't we more than anybody treat people with respect and dignity and kindness? Um, and so the judgmentalism, you know, we have this, this divide, judgmentalism on, on both sides, and we're not exempt. And I frequently, I'll, I mean, in myself, but I frequently will hear People who know God, the way they talk about lost people is like how in the world, like what are they thinking? This is kind of what you get. What are they thinking? How can they live like that? Why, how come they just don't get it, okay? You can hear it. It, it. it comes out in small ways. And I want you to know that lost people have a radar for that and they can pick it up miles away. And more than anything, that will undermine your ability to be the beauty of God, to share the good news in people's lives. When they, when they sense that, just a small amount of that, they have no interest in you and to what you have to share because people don't have interest in that kind of attitude. Um, we truly need to respect people. Let, let me just offer a few scriptures on this because I feel strongly about it. You know, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul specifically says, you know, you, you might want to write some of these down. I'm not necessarily going to read all of them But he specifically says, when I was telling you don't associate with people that are sexually immoral, I wasn't talking about lost people. Because if that's true, you'd have to just leave the world. And Paul's like, I don't expect, here's a word for you, Gene, I don't expect regenerate behavior from unregenerate people. That's how Paul was. Doesn't that make sense? You know, Why are we expecting new life behavior from people who are still dead in their sin, right? So why are we even expect? why do we act shocked with the things people do or say or believe? Um, so that's one thing, is I think we, we need to quit, just we need to start understanding that that's, that that's the reality. Um, another thing I think we need to be remind ourselves of, because everybody's so divided today, and we're all coalesced into our camps with the enemy combatants on the other side, right? And we're lobbing bombs at each other. And I want to remind you from a biblical perspective, from Ephesians 6 and Paul, that there is not a single human being in the world who is our enemy. Do you know that? If you, if you are in the mindset of thinking of people as your enemy, um, it's, a, it's not a biblical mindset because here's what Paul says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the dark powers, the forces of evil in the heavenly realm, right? That's the enemy, not flesh and blood. So if something has flesh and blood, guess what? They're not your enemy, they're not, they're not the enemy. The enemy is Satan, the enemy is Satan. And so if, if, if you kind of have a mindset of lost people uh, or in a certain category of them and in your mind, those people are the enemy then I, I suggest you sit down with Ephesians 6 and think about this. In fact, I want to take it a step further. In Second Corinthians 4, here's what we're told, that um, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Because the God of this age, the enemy, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Or the word glory just means Beauty. They cannot see the good news of the beauty of Christ. He has blinded lost people, so that when they see the story of God, they don't see the beauty in it, okay? It's not something they've chosen to do. There is an enemy around blinding people to the beauty of the story of God. And so part of what God wants to do through us is he wants to us to embody to people the beauty of the good news. So. Let, let's kind of, let's, let's just think a little bit differently um, about people. I got one more challenge in this idea of respecting people. We need to quit being offended, and we need to start being provoked. Um, I feel pretty strongly about this. The Pharisees were offended by the behavior of lost people, and because they were offended, they refused to engage, and they would separate from them and not engage with them. Paul offers us a beautiful model because in Acts 17 we're told that when he was in Athens and he was waiting that when he saw all the idols as he was observing the city he it says that his spirit was what's the word in red provoked can you say that word for me provoked not offended but provoked he was provoked in his spirit this is the same greek word used in hebrews ten twenty four, where we're told to provoke one another to love and good deeds provoke means to, pro- to provoke feelings to stir somebody into action and it's a word of not so he wasn't offended like ah oh, well i mean look at these people i can't believe it well i'm out of this city i'm moving on to, to to corinth it was being provoked it was being stirred up and wanting to engage people in a beautiful good way does that make sense it's the same thing in, G- in the Gospels where it says that Jesus, when he looked out on the people, and it, he said he saw that they were lost and like sheep without a shepherd, that his compa- he had compassion. He was provoked to compassion for them. So can we quit being offended at the world, and can we start being provoked to compassion and to engagement? Okay, I think I'm done with that one. But, so you gotta be aware of the person. You have to respect them. You have to truly love and respect them. Third, you have to identify their felt needs. Felt needs. Um, four types of needs I could identify. People have significance needs. The need to feel, there are people out there who feel like they're worthless, they have no value, and they, they have a need to understand that they, they are valuable. People have survival needs. They need help with food. Uh, paying a bill, a ride somewhere because they don't have a vehicle. People have social needs; they need to be loved, they need to be invited into a community to belong to. People have spiritual needs; you know, they need to come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus. And so, what I'm doing is as I'm as I'm knowing a person, as I'm spending time with them. Right, my compassion and love as I know their story is growing for them. Um, that you begin to to look around, look at them, and ask the question, what what are their felt needs? What are the areas, what are the things that they have a sense that they're needing? And so, um, then what I do is D. Oh, yeah, identify, let me, one more thing. Yeah, Luke, I mean, Jesus always met people at their point of need, you know that? In Luke 18, when he met the blind man in Jericho, it says he stopped and he ordered the man to be brought to him, and when he came near, Jesus asked him, I love this question. What do you want me to do for you? Lord I want to see he was asking him what is your point of felt need and Jesus met him at the point of need so Jesus did the next thing is he demonstrated God's love he identified the man's need he met the need he demonstrated um, the love of God and again I do it at the point of the felt need not everybody feels their spiritual need that's okay okay Let God be the one to awaken that in them, okay? I can't. Can any of us reach into a person's heart and change it, transform it, awaken them? Can any of us do that? Okay. Do you know whose responsibility that is? Whose responsibility is that? It's God's. It's the Holy Spirit specifically who convicts of sin, who awakens hearts. I I, I, I can't do that. So what I do is I I really focus on the felt needs. I know they have spiritual needs. I pray about that. And I practically meet person at their point of need. 1 John 3, 18, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with our actions. Just practically meet people's needs. Love them in a practical way. And I really think hospitality is key here. It's all part of this whole thing, of being aware, of respecting, of identifying needs. It's, it's inviting people into your home, inviting them into your life, inviting them into your family. You know, do stuff with them. Go to a, if you go to KU games, take them along. If you like coffee, Invite them to a, to coffee for you. It's learning what they love too. If they love tennis, maybe you're horrible, but you'll you'll take up tennis. That was Paul, right? I'll become all things to all men, that I might win a few to the lost, to the to the weak. I became weak to the tennis guy. I became tennis guy. To the Bron, I mean the Chiefs. Well, I couldn't go there, but <laughs> to the uh, I think we I know what we'd all understand to the Raiders fan. Nah, I can't go there either. Man, pay Nah, I don't know, cowboy, there's some things you just gotta draw a line. Uh, (laughs) and, And meet those needs, this is really important, meet them in an unconditional way. Can I tell you a way that I stumbled early in my own ministry? We'd do an activity for students, and I'd always have a little God thing I'd throw on the end of it, and part of it is I felt too responsible that I was the person that was gonna awaken a person to God, and at that time not realizing that was God's job and not mine. And I remember one day a Chinese student, uh, he's in Atlanta now, I love the guy, he came to me and he said, Garen, he said, you know, every time you do something, you've got to throw God on it. He said, can you do something good for us without throwing God on it? He said, what's your real motivation? Man, it hit me like a load of bricks. And I really, I went to God and I asked God, am I loving people unconditionally? Can I love a person Till their death and they never come to a point of faith in God. Can I do that? And it was an awakening thing. And that was a real shift in my own life and ministry. And now I freely can, can do that. I can, I'm not, God, it's God's job to wake people, okay? I'm just meeting felt needs. Um, and I want to tell you, if you are not offering genuinely unconditional love, people can smell it. You know that? He smelled it especially the young generation, the millennials here, they hate the inauthentic and the non-genuine and they can smell it better than anybody and if, if, that's, if, that's, what you're, if that's what's going on underneath, people, people know that. One last thing about demonstrating love. Pray for people and their needs. Wow, the longer I go, the more I see the value in this in so many ways. You know, when somebody's hurting, just say, can I pray for you? At first, it feels a little weird, but I wanna tell you, I think there's been a survey done that if you, know, if you invite people to church now, at this generation, less than half will go with you. If you ask somebody if you can pray for them, it's like 98% will say yes. Because you're not making them do anything, you're just saying, can I do that? I did this with a guy the other day. Kind of a small thing, I thought, And I just, I was leaving I said, hey, can I pray for that? And I prayed for him and when I got done and I looked up, he was crying, he was in tears. Um, There's an Iraqi young lady here in Emporia who actually has been here at least once. One of you is friends with her. Her brothers were in Mosul, she was fearful of her death. I mean, a group of us prayed for them for quite a long time, right? text, you know, how you doing, praying, um, it made quite an, that made quite an impact. That is a way to demonstrate the love of God. So, that's a way to do it. Okay, and then G is give away your faith. Give away your faith. Um, Now, as you can see in this model, the emphasis is giving away your faith to those who ask. Now, so remember, this is just a model, it's not a law. It's the general template that guides me most of the time, all right? It's not a law. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And here's why I think this is actually extremely important. And I don't know, Al and I have talked a lot about this. I think we're in pretty much agreement. So we tend to think of evangelism, I think, primarily as that giveaway part, right? Which is why I think we're so afraid of it and timid and we feel ill-equipped. You can do BRID with almost no training, can't you? Can you not be friends with somebody and become aware and you treat them with respect, you identify their felt needs and you just demonstrate love. Can't you do that with almost no training? But that's not what we think of as evangelism. We think of the G as the evangelism. Um, and so here's what happens, is people have in their mind, so th- what happens is, I think in our minds, is we have to get this idea that evangelism is this cold turkey, just I've got, you know, you say something to somebody, in a really weird environment or you awkwardly interject something about God into a conversation or you've gotta present God to the stranger next to you in Walmart line or on the airplane, that's what I always hear, on the airplane, uh, that's why I don't fly because I, <laughs> just, just to avoid the, no, I'm, but, uh, and I'm convinced that part of the, I think part of the reason we're so timid is our emphasis is all here, it's all on this part, I wanna tell you, in my own life, the vast majority of my time is spent in the top four. 90% is spent in the top four. I heard a lady talk about surfing, and she wanted to learn to surf, and he said, well, you've got, it takes like seven days, and what she found out was, is she wanted to get out and ride a wave and she found out to swim against the current, like she couldn't, she got halfway out, the first two or three days she was so exhausted, she couldn't even get out to where the wave started, and what he told her is he said, most people think surfing is riding a wave, it's only 10% riding the wave, it's 90% the work to get out there, and to sit and wait for the wave to come. That's really the truth, 90% of it is just loving people. That's where most of my time and most of my effort is, that's the trenches where the battle is won or lost. How many of you watching the big game tonight? Go Falcons, right? Sorry. I'm just tired of Tom Brady, you know. He's one of those guys I put in a box over here, this category that I just, no compassion for. No, I just, I want to see somebody new. But the game's going to be one in the trenches, right? Those of you who know football, it's the offensive, defensive line. It's the same with this. The trenches are the BRID. That's where, that's where it's won or lost. So here's what I do. I invest and then I invite. You've got to be the good news before you can bear the good news. You know that? Christ, the story of God. If I could tell you this st- I did a few years ago in a sermon. If I could tell you the story of God, it's better than any story you've ever read. That all I told you that day, the great movies we love, the reason we love them is because actually it's the story of Jesus inside of them and I don't have time to go into that. The stories we love, his story is so beautiful. And we need, we need to make that beautiful. We need to be the good news. We need to exhibit his beauty before we can bear the good news to people. Both are essential, okay, don't get me wrong, the investing, the inviting. They're two sides of the same coin. They're both important to Jesus and Paul. It was said of Jesus that he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Paul said in Romans 15, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Okay, so both are important. But as I told you, the weight, the majority of our weight needs to be in those top four. I am so convinced of this. Our lifestyle, the way we live with and in front of people gives us the credibility that their trust is built upon that then holds up when it's time to share words that our words are built on. Does that make sense? I am totally, totally convinced of this, um, biblically and from my experience. I think we've got to be the demonstration of the good news before we can be the proclamation of it. There's got to be the visual that goes with the verbal. We have to share bread before we can share the bread of life. Francis of Assisi, love this quote. Share the good news all of the time. Use words when necessary. Isn't that good? Jim Peterson, Living Proof, you've got to be the good news before you can share the good news. Before there can be truth, there must be trust. And you guys have heard this, but it's so true. Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Nobody, they don't care what you know, they don't care until they know that you care. When they know that you care, then they'll want to know your story and they'll want to know what you know and you should want to know what they know. I mean, it's it's mutual. Um, So a few other thoughts about this giving away. Um, I have found that if I am faithful to this process, doors open, sometimes a small crack, sometimes a little more, not always. There are relationships I'm in right now that a door hasn't opened. It may never open. That's okay. I'm going to love them unconditionally. But people, I just find people frequently open the door in some way. But more often than not, it's a form of a small question. Or it's coming to you with help, just something deep. And it's just a chance to speak into that deep place from your own relationship with God. But I find it tends to be small questions. Um... By the way, when somebody asks you something even small, do you know that's an evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life? That's an evidence that he's, he's beginning to awaken a person. So don't be afraid to go there. Um, but we have to be ready to give an answer, right? That's what, Paul, that's what Peter said. So I have the hope that I have in the way I live. I need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. So, um... You have to be prepared. Um, you know, you need to know a little bit of the basic questions people tend to ask, how to answer. You're not going to do it well the first time, not even the fifth time. It just takes time. That's okay. It's like riding a bike. Um, but I find people rarely ask me about the gospel at the beginning. That's usually not their question. So I just go with where they are. Um, but frequently, frequently, when they ask that question, my response will be to answer it as best I can, and then to be like, hey, would you be interested, because really to understand this, you've got to understand the whole story of God from the beginning, because God has a story of what he's doing. Would you be interested in learning that? And so many times, people are like, hey, I'll do that, and then I begin with the beginning with Genesis, and we go through the story of God. Um, I just have found that if people, that, that they'll go with that, um, We also need to know some gospel presentations, some ways to kind of present that gospel. I really encourage you to know several because there is no one size fits all presentation, really. Everybody's an individual, I just said that. There's no one size fits all. It's like Tim, I I almost asked him to do this. It's probably good I didn't. I was gonna have him bring up his golf clubs up here and like swing them around for me. Uh, (laughs) By the way, he plays his best games when he plays me. I am so terrible. He feels like zero pressure when he plays me, and he's hitting eagles and hole-in-ones and all sorts of stuff all over the place when he plays me. So, uh, the golf—you've got to you got to know which club to use, right, Tim? By where the ball is laying. And the same with people. You you've got to be dis- if you know them well, you'll you'll you know. Okay, I I got to pull this one out of the bag. This is probably the best way to to present it, and this fits Jesus. Do you know tw- two times Jesus was asked specifically, "How can I attain attain eternal life?" And you know, he gave radically different answers to both guys, I mean, almost opposite ends of the spectrum, because he was aware of the person and he knew there's just not a one-size-fits-all. And so over the next few weeks, Al and others are gonna be sharing ways to share the gospel, right? So they're gonna try to give you a few golf clubs. Um, Also at this point, I wanna encourage you with the wise words of Rabbi Zacharias, who says this, answer the person, not the question. Paige and I have been in a little bit of an email dialogue. Many times, here's the wisdom of that. If you're aware of the person, many times the question they ask is not the question. There's a question under the question. They've got an issue under the question. Or the thing they're saying is not really the issue. There's been something in their life, an experience or something, and what's really underneath is there's some emotion attached to that, and that's really the thing that God is needing to work on. Does that make sense? So learn to answer the person, not the question. So Paige, that's just one thing I would share with you, just having thought. There's something else. There's, I mean, you told me when she began to kind of move away, something had happened, right? I think, it's, I think this is all really tied to that in some deep kind of emotional way. So we can talk later. But Sorry, I'm, I'm practicing here in front of all of you. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, in answering people... Paul is so helpful. I love this. In Colossians 4 and 1 Peter 3, he tells us to be wise, to always be full of grace. It should be, our word should be seasoned with salt. We do it with gentleness and respect. This, I want to tell you, the way you answer is more important, I think, many times than the what you answer. Okay, You may totally screw up your answer and you have to come back a week later and say, you know what? What I said was like totally wrong. I went to Al and Al was like, that's heresy, you know? So I'm coming back and I'm gonna give it another shot. But if you did it with grace and respect, and, and peep, it's, it's the way, that's really, I really, really believe this is so important. Um, I especially love that la- this last one, is it up there? Or the, the last one in, in collage, in season with salt. Here's what it means, we need to learn to speak of spiritual things in ways that are compelling to people compelling I love Mark 6:22 because we're told there that John's preaching convicted Herod it bothered him it got under his skin but it says but he kept coming back because he enjoyed listening to him because John knew how to speak truth but in a compelling way and if you want to learn to speak truth in a compelling way read everything C.S. Lewis I think nobody better communicates truth in a compelling way than him just learn how he communicates spiritual things. Uh, He's been my best teacher. Okay, there are exceptions to this model, right? I told you it's not a law. There are times when the door that opens is really subtle. They're not asking a question, but there's just a subtle thing that I'll just feel like, you know, I'm just going to bring God to bear on that, or I'll ask him, you know, how does God, you know, what do you think God might be doing with that, or how, how are you, are you, is God w- kinda walking with you in any way through that? I, it's, it's hard for me to explain. Um, there are also places, times, to be more directive, I think. Like the airplane stories that you hear, though I've never had this kind of experience. Um, you know, where it, it's a, there's a one point in time and maybe it, it is appropriate to be directive and use an example that Al or somebody's gonna share. But even if you're directive, can I please point you to this? Would you please do it with gentleness and respect, that it's full of grace? Don't get people cornered. I I really dislike this. I saw a a religious group one time, I went to get gas at Quick Shop, and there were two men standing there, so you can probably gather who it is since it was two men, standing there, and what they would do is they'd kind of stand outside, and as soon as somebody come out and start putting in gas, they would walk up to them and start sharing. Okay, They had them cornered, because you aren't just gonna stop getting gas and leave, right? You're gonna finish. So they had them for five minutes or whatever. That's not respectful of people, so just, Okay, be respectful, and I want to tell you, there are very few of us, I think, are directive in our evangelism. I'm not. If you are that kind of a person, I really want to encourage you, I still think this is the way you ought to be doing it the majority of the time. If it's just always directive and all the time, I I just think you'll be more effective this way. It's my opinion. Uh, If you disagree, Al would be more than glad to... uh, (laughs) Okay, one more thing I want to say about this. Leadings of the Holy Spirit. Boy, we need to be open to the leadings of the Spirit. He is within us. He knows when people need a word or a nudging, and he will, if you're open to it, he will lead us in saying something to someone that he knows they need to hear. You know, in Acts 8, we're told, you know, Philip was told to go somewhere, and then it says the Spirit told Philip, I want you to go to that chariot and stay near it. And we really need to be open to his leading. That, that's something that, that's not in the model, okay? I mean, that's not the to him who asks. I could tell you stories of this in my own life. Most of them are failures. Two, I could tell you two really big ones where I so clearly knew the spirit was asking me to say something and I didn't. And within one or two days, I learned that if I had said that, it would've made a difference. And I, can't, I won't go into it, it would take too much time. But You've got to be open to the of the Spirit. I could say so much more on giving away your faith, uh, but there's good books on evangelism. These are my three favorite: Event, lifestyle evangelism, Living Proof, and Evangelism Outside the Box. Especially if you work with millennials, young people, Evangelism Outside the Box is great. Okay, and then the E is expect God to work through you. So based upon, I, and I do it based upon God's ability and my availability. To him who is able to do more, immeasurably more than I ask, I, I imagine or ask, right? Because his power is at work within me. So I, I just make myself available. And I love people. And I just spend most of my time in the top four. And I, I just trust that he'll be at work and he'll awaken hearts. And doors will open and then I'm ready to walk through it. And I fall half the time, but that's okay. I care about people, so they know it. they They're fine. Uh, can I be very honest with you, very brutal, brutally honest? I am a very ordinary person. Trust me, if you threw me in a room with just 20 people, and we, none of us know each other, and if you would watch, nobody takes notice of me, because I'm, I, trust me, I feel it to the core of my being. I am pretty ordinary, really, Okay? You, th- you may think, because I can stand up here and talk, that I'm not ordinary. Can, I just want to let you know, I'm really ordinary, okay? I'm not this great evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism, I can tell you that. But I take seriously Second Timothy 4, 5, where we are commanded, all of us, to do the work of an evangelist. And I was lost as a goose for, at one time in my life. I mean, really lost. I was a pagan, and I've never forgotten that. I have never forgotten that. And I wake up every day knowing that people around me are where I was, And I choose to make myself available to God by building bridges of friendship with people. That's what I choose to do every day because I'll never forget where I was. I make myself available, that's all you have to do. God is able, he'll work in their hearts, he'll draw them to himself. That's his responsibility, not mine. I need to say something else, this box on the outside. You need to surround it all in prayer. This is really crucial. Paul in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, four times says, would you pray, would you pray, would you pray? The words will be given to me that I may declare it fearlessly, that God would open the door. I mean, even Paul needed prayer to be bold, that I can proclaim it clearly, that you know how to answer everybody. So, yeah, just, you're praying all the time for, um, wow, that got stuck, there it goes. You're praying all the time for opportunities, boldness, words to speak clarity. Hudson Taylor used to say, move men by God through prayer. So just surround it all in prayer. So that's the model. Threw a sentence in there. Simply be about building a bridge of friendship that is strong enough to bear the full weight of the gospel. That's all I do. I just work on building a bridge of friendship that's strong enough to bear the beauty and the full weight of the gospel. And if you do that, God will come through. He'll work. He'll move lives and move lives. It's been shown that over 90% of people are one to faith in Jesus through the influence of friends and family. Do you know that? Friends and family. Because friends and family, perhaps unknowingly, but you know what they're doing? They're building bridges of love. That's what they're doing. So can we do that? Can you do that? Uh, If I could change one thing about this after I'd kind of made all this, it would be this. It would be community. Um, You know people need to belong before they'll believe. And I don't have time to go into that. They really, people need to belong before they believe. In the old days, you'd win a person outside the church all by themselves, and then you'd bring them into the community. Um, The process that works best is you bring them into community. Let them be around your small group. Let them be around your circle of friends. Get them in community with other people, and let them see not just your life, but the way you interact, okay? I really, really believe this, so I would add that community um, thing to it. So the model's really simple. It's prayer, care, and share. In the context of community, prayer, care, and share, Al asked me to, uh, to. He wanted me to share like a way we share the gospel, and really, I told him I don't. I'm not usually doing that. If somebody's ready, we're, I'm kind of doing. It's it's just pr- really process with what I do with the people I work with primarily, but when I'm to the point that we feel like somebody's ready to f- come to faith this is what I take them through it's on the back of your thing I take them through Mark because I want to tell you Brandy and I I committed this and Brandy you're awesome in this don't leave yet because she's totally with me on this we don't want decisions we want disciples that's really important so you can go Brandy but you're great you're awesome we don't want decisions, because I have seen a lot of people make decisions, right? They pray a prayer, it's a purely intellectual thing, but it's not a giving of their whole life to God, okay? We don't want decisions. I am so afraid of decisions that aren't disciples. I am I'm fearful. I probably take longer in the process than maybe I should, because I want disciples. And so when somebody, we think they're ready, we will take them through this, because Jesus says you have to believe, you have to repent of your sin and believe the good news, and then he called people to follow him. And so he was calling people, not just to admit their sin, but to abandon it. To turn their back on the far country. And to, so to turn and then to trust, to put their full trust in God and totally who they are, everything, into him desiring to commit their life to follow him, to travel with him, does that make sense? And you can read this because I try to define each of those and then we kind of put together a prayer that we think encapsulates all three of those things. It's not magic, okay? But just, this, this isn't some, so much leading a person to the gospel, which I think we're gonna have in the next few weeks, this is more, this is how I try to maybe bring it to a point of decisions, that make sense? If I feel like they're ready. So, you can take that home. Okay, a few final things. Here's my challenge to you. If you're not in the game, get in the game, okay? Get in the game. Specifically, I want you to do, and I'm not. Alan and I didn't talk about this. He may ask something similar. I want you to start praying for three people who don't know God, that you care about. Just start praying for them. Ask God to be at work in their life. Ask God to bring somebody in their life to love them, and ask maybe for an opportunity, for, to speak into their life. So three people you're praying. Number, and then then pick one of those and begin building a relationship with them being aware of them, knowing their story, taking them out for coffee, doing stuff with them, having meals, inviting them to their home, and just kind of work through this. That's my challenge for you. Can you do that? Okay, don't even worry about the G&E right now, just do the BRID, because I think we can all do that. This whole model is based upon this concept, the truth is best embodied in human flesh. God revealed himself in words on paper in the Old Testament but even God knew that wasn't enough because God knows truth is best embodied in human flesh. So God entered into human history through the incarnation so that his beauty wouldn't just be read about, but it would be seen. You could smell it and touch it and feel it and you could watch and see the beauty of God. Does that make sense? God's way of reaching people is incarnational. This model is incarnational. So based on that, and I have Al's permission, uh, I want to give you a challenge, and can can I get some grace? Can you guys give me some grace here? I want you, if you're willing to give me grace, like you're not going to come up and lecture me after. Raise your hand. A few. Oh wow, I'm going to get a lot of lectures. Okay. How about this? If you're gonna, if you want to come up and lecture, you're going to lecture me. Just raise your hand, and I'll have. Okay, my son, Kieran. (laughs) I'll have Gene, you know, usher those people out. Um. You know, we live in very unique times, a lot of time is spent on the internet and on cable TV, right? Reading up on the big political views, right? The latest opinions, making sure, and making sure our voice is heard online, right? Do you know that in any war, one of the main strategies of winning a war is the use of diversion? you know that? Diversion? I will have a little skirmish over here to get the enemy's attention over here, that my combatant, I want to get their attention over here because I'm really going to attack over here. Right? Diversion is key. We are told by Paul to not be unaware of Satan's strategies. Now, would you guys tell me, what is the main thing of the Christian life, really? What should we really be? I mean, we want to form the image of Christ, but what's the main thing, our theme for the next four weeks? What's the big main thing, the Great Commission main thing? Making disciples of all nations. Is that not the main thing? Is that not the main thing to make disciples of all nations? To build bridges to lost people? Is that not the main thing? Building bridges of friendship that are strong enough to bear the full weight of the gospel. Is that not the main thing? That's why in Luke 13 when people came to Jesus and said, hey, Pilate just killed a bunch of Galileans who were offering their sacrifices. What are you gonna do or say about it? And he said this, unless you repent, you too will perish. Because Jesus wasn't into the latest political discourse, okay, I'm not saying you totally ignore it, but what he was concerned about was the main thing, which was souls. Does that make sense? Okay, so he redirected it. So please don't get me wrong. Please understand my heart, because I was pagan once, and I've never forgotten it. Do you think this current political environment is toxic? Do you? Isn't it toxic? Do you think this could be a diversion of the enemy to distract the church of Jesus from the main thing. Is it possible? To get us doing disembodied things, like we're, we're, it's all about words and people are reading things we say or we write, but we're not engaging people, real people who we love with our bodies, embodied, incarnationally loving. Does that make sense? Could this all be a diversion? I'm not saying don't be informed, but what if the hour we gave spent you know reading online about the latest whatever political thing what if we gave it to reading a book about evangelism what if an hour we spent typing up a response to somebody what if we gave that to having coffee with our neighbor do you think do you think god might do some big things through that al has said this so many times over the years that you you we win you are going we're going we, we change the nation by winning people one heart at a time right okay that's how, if you wanted, he gave me a great article and, about that, but, okay, I think you get the point, so please let's not allow ourselves to be diverted from the kingdom task at hand. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. If you degre- disagree with what I said, Kieran will gladly meet with you and go out and have coffee with you, and you guys can talk about me for a long time, or Al, Al's going to second service, he told me, <laughs> he's going to be, oh no, you're going to be in TABC 101, oh, Al, but I'll be free for coffee tomorrow, probably. If you disagree, uh, okay. Uh, let me show you a picture and I'm done, really quick. Ah, look at that, I'm so close. Imagine, this is my life, this is the life of a friend, right, it's, we so, it's so easy to focus on our 70 years, right, on our life, we just focus on those outward things. Worsh- no, worship team's not coming out, so I don't have to invite them. It's so easy to focus on our life, and we can get, I think, so distracted that this becomes the main thing, but I wanna give you a little perspective, and I need some help. Yena, I need your help. Would you come take this and, like, pass it to Sam, and Sam pass it to Paige, and then just keep passing it back, and then Tina, when it gets to the back row, I'd like you to grab it, and you just go through the door, and you just walk through the door, and then, you know, walk out the other door, and then across the parking lot, and then get on 12, and just (laughs) keep going. Adam will do worship, he'll handle worship, right, he'll, he'll, so keep passing that back. Keep passing that back. Imagine. Um, imagine that. Uh, yeah, keep. Yeah, keep going. Good job. All right, he's, Tina's gonna take that, and she's just gonna go out that back door or that door. You can like hide there. I, I'll know you're really not going outside. But imagine Tina kept going forever and ever and ever and ever. You know this this thing this. This is, what a person's, this is what my life and a person's life looks like. Can you see this, barely? If I put this here, compared to eternity? I think we lose. we lose sight of this so easily, okay? Do you know what's at stake? People's eternities, do you understand that? If she just kept going and going and going, and this kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, people's souls are at stake. Eternities are at stake, okay? That is the main thing. That is the main thing. So can we just start investing our lives, embodying the gospel by it being incarnational, get, building bridges of friendship. Can we, can we all just take one person and start intentionally doing that? And then Al's gonna help us the rest of the month to, to, do, to be better at that, okay? Can we pray? Lord, uh, don't ever let my heart lose the passion for lost people because I was one, I know what it was like, I know how it was felt, I know what my life was like, I know the lack of meaning and purpose I had, though I looked good on the outside, I know the emptiness I felt. Help me to see the people around me, help us to see the people around us who are lost, that see their eternities, help us to get a fire in our belly Help us to keep the main thing the main thing and to just love people and build bridges of friendship and then to trust you to draw people through that. And you'll help us, help us at that time. We don't know what to say half the time, but help us to just trust you. May we be a community that is committed to the gospel, to making disciples of all nations. And we pray this in the name of Christ, amen.